All right, how are we doing? Good. All right. Hey, I am, uh, I'm Andy Averill, one of the pastors here on staff, also director of Family Life. And I'm just excited that I get to uh, just take a couple, uh, couple weeks and teach uh, on the fruit of the Spirit during this new series, or this series, New You. Um, but something also I'm excited about that I want to tell you about is in two weeks, Brandon Stevenson is coming back. That's right. My life will be whole again. If you don't know, Brandon uh, Brandon's a pa- was a pastor here, uh, and he moved to Pittsburgh this year to plant his church, and, and he is in that process, and he's going to be here in two weeks to, to preach and tell us how it's going. And also, that's going to be a special weekend because as, uh, as a church, we're going to do something special to support him. So uh, make sure you're here uh, in two weeks uh, to see Brandon. So we are going to continue this series, New You, and I'm going to start this week off with an activity. Okay, so I hope you're ready. You seem a little tired. It's 9 a.m. If you need to go get some coffee, uh, go get it. I'm not going to wait for you, but you can still go get it. Um, and we're going we're gonna to get going. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I am going to say a word, and then you're going you're gonna to say the opposite. Okay, that makes sense, right? This is easy. So we'll start out uh, big, small, all right, tall, short, hot, yes, happy. Sad. Yeah, you guys are doing good. You could have said Andy for any one of those, and you would have been correct, too. Um, that was weird. All right, so uh, Republican. All right. Thick head of hair. Andy. Someone said it. Yeah, you guys got this, right? All right, last one. Good. Bad. Good. Bad. Right? Let's stop there, because this is what we're going to talk about today. Good. Bad. I want to get you thinking about something. What is good? What does it mean to be Good. What's a good person? What is the opposite of good? Is it bad? Is it something else? These are interesting questions. And I bet if we, if we went around and we all wrote down our definition of good, we would probably come up with a couple hundred different definitions. We might have some overlap, but we might have some disagreement. But what I would realize is we all define good really differently. Right? And imagine if we, we expanded it out to Waukesha and Wisconsin and the U.S. and the entire world and we just got everyone's definition of good would they all match? No. No. There, there would be a lot of differences, right? In general, we define good differently. And I think we define what a good person is differently as well, right? I think it's safe to say some of us can view one person as good and others of us would view that same exact person a- as bad, right? I, I talked to some friends and I said, hey, give me a list of people who are like polarized. Like some people view them as really good and some people view them as bad. And here's a list uh, of people that I got back, okay? Um, Steve Jobs. Now, a lot of people think Steve Jobs is awesome because he create, uh, created all this amazing tech. He ran this big company. It was very successful, right? And other people view him as like ruthless businessman, didn't care about his employees, all that. So it's polarizing, Lance Armstrong. Some people view him as like this incredible cancer survivor and other people view him as this lying cheat, right? Brett Favre, good? Bad? Okay, see, right? Enough said, all right. Um, The women on The View, all right, the women on The View, you can't agree with all of them. That's impossible. You can agree with some of them and then you hate the other ones, right? And then your friend, you know, she likes this, and, and it's, you're like, does Andy watch The View? I don't watch The View. My boss, Don, is always talking about The View. Um, so I know a lot about it, and I know who's good and who's bad. Um, all right, presidents. Any president, name one, right? Any president in the last five elections, ten elections, ever, right? Some people love them. Some people hate them. Last one, Ben Davis. 
Very polarizing person, right? Some people, like me, I think he's a hero, a revolutionary, right? An amazing leader of this church. And the rest of the staff, they're just kind of like, eh. And that's why I'm his favorite, okay? That's why, that's why he chose me to be up here this weekend. But anyway, so what does it mean for someone to be good, right? What does it mean for someone to be good? And what does it mean for someone to be the opposite of good, right? Think, that, that might sound ridiculous, like, is the opposite of good bad? Like, if it's not a good cup of coffee, if it's a bad cup of coffee, if it's not a good Packers game, it's a bad Packers game. They can win and still have a bad game. I don't understand you people, but anyway, right? And if it's not a good cat, it's a, it's a cat. So you get my point, though. Like, if it's not good, it's bad. But in terms of people, if it's not a good person, what are they? Are they bad or is there a better way to define it? Well, there's all these questions. And what I want to do today as we talk about goodness is um, since good is so subjective, it's hard to define sometimes. What I'd like to do is uh, look at how God defines good, allow him to shape our thought process as we answer some of these questions, okay? Especially because today we are looking at goodness as part of this series knew you. And during this series, what we're doing is we're looking at uh, these things called the fruit of the Spirit and how God can change us and mold us uh, to have these things in our life and to become more like Jesus. And so this series is based on Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Uh, we're going to read that together right now. So here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all right? So today we're going to look at goodness and what it means to bear this specific fruit, all right? My hope today is to define it, what does it mean to be good, what does it mean to grow in goodness, and then see how God can actually move us towards becoming good people. So here's where we're going to start to help us out. We're going to look at an encounter that Jesus had with a man, all right? And this is probably a guy who everyone would have agreed, yeah, he's a good guy, right? He was... Um, he, he had the right behaviors in his life. He, he was successful in his career. Um, he, uh, he's wealthy. He's got quite a bit of knowledge, right? He's referred to as the rich young ruler. So probably most people would look at this guy and be like, yeah, good, good guy, right? And then he encounters Jesus, and we start to get an idea of how God defines goodness. So this story takes place in Luke 18. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn there, uh, or there's a Bible in the seat around you, and you can follow along as I, I read through this passage. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to kind of hop back and forth and, and go through it. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, just to give you an idea where we're at, he, he's becoming, uh, he's beginning to attract a lot of attention because of the things he's saying, because of the things he's doing. And a lot of religious leaders are now trying to come to him to trick him. And a lot of influential people are coming to him to see what he has to say. And so we see this man, the rich young ruler, he comes to him and he asks him a really, really good question. Here's, here's how it goes. Luke 18, 18. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the command, you know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these things I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, well, then who can be saved? 
And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So this guy comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do uh, to get to heaven? Right? This is a great question. This is a question a lot of us have. I've had similar questions at my, uh, in my life, like what's the purpose of everything? Why am I here? Right? Is there something after I die? How do I get there? Right? Maybe you've asked these questions too. And he asks it. And he's wondering what he must do to get it. Right? This guy is an achiever. He's a doer. Right? He's sometimes referred to as the rich young ruler. So he's young, he's wealthy, and he has power. He's built up his resume. He's done what he needed to do to get wealth. He's successful. He's powerful. All of these things. And so he's wondering, well, if I've had to do everything to get all this in my life, what else do I need to do to get this other thing in my life, this eternal life, heaven, right? How, re- how good do I really have to be? And Jesus answers his question with a question. This is what Jesus does a lot. He always answers a question with a question. It gets you thinking and reframing everything. And he says this, it's interesting. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. All right, so a couple things. He actually defines good as something God is. Right? God is good. God is good. Much different than how we use the word. Right? Jesus, he uses the word uh, good and he attaches it to such a high standard, God, that he says no one else is good except him. Right? Your whole idea of what good is, it's going to be lacking, it's going to be relative, it's going to be subjective if it's not related to God. Right? And if you don't relate good to God, you're going to run into problems. You're going to define it differently. We're not going to be on the same page. But by looking at goodness as a trait that God is, then we gain some clarity on what it means to be good. Right? It means being godly. Second, Jesus makes this statement. He says, if, only, if God is the only one who is good, then why do you call me good? And what he's saying is, you don't think I'm God, so why are you calling me good? Because God is the only one who is good, right? If you truly thought I was good, you would worship me as God. That's what he's saying, right? Jesus is God, which means he's good. It means he also has authority, right? Jesus, he always seems to make these comments that forces people to wrestle with his identity and who he is, right? And, and, and they come to him and they ask him questions and seek out answers, and he always kind of twists it on him and says, well, if you want to accept my answer, you, want to, you have to accept me as God. And so before he even gives this guy an answer, he says, basically he makes this point. I'm going to tell you how good you have to be and you better listen up because I'm God and I have the authority on this topic. And here's what he says. You know the commands, right? You know the commandments. Don't cheat, don't murder, don't lie, don't steal. Always honor your parents. These are all the commandments or these are the commandments laid out in the second half uh, of the Ten Commandments. Okay, something all the Jews would have known and for the most part they would have tried to follow with their life. And this guy is like, yup, done it. Did it. I've done them all since I was a little boy. Right? Everything you said, Jesus, I have done that since I was a boy. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking, yeah, right. Okay, did you forget about sixth grade? Right? You guys know sixth graders, right? (laughs) Honor your parents. Um, I think this guy is genuine in his belief though. I really think he thought he had followed the commands. You see, what had happened over time uh, in the Jewish culture and the people is that they started to take the commands of God and make them very doable. Very doable. They took the Ten Commandments, which are really about uh, how we relate to God and how we relate to each other and our attitudes and what's going on in our hearts, and they turned it into just a a list of rules that, that really anyone could do. 
And this is what we do sometimes. We like to take things like honor your father and mother and we turn it into a doable checklist. So we can say done, right? If I, if I send my mom a card on Mother's Day and I call her once a month and I laugh at my dad's jokes and I call him sir, honored my father and mother, check, done, right? That's what we do. We take commands, which are much more about uh, our attitude and what's going on in here, and we make them all about actions, right? We make it all about what we can do so we can say, did it, check, moving on, right? And I believe that's what this guy had done. He probably thought he really did do it. He did everything because of all the actions that were in his life. What about the attitude? What about what's going on in his heart? Right? That's what Jesus goes after. That's what Jesus does. Here's what he says. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Right? Here's basically what Jesus did. He exposed what this man loved. Loved the most. Out of everything in his life, what he loved the most. He loved it, money. It ruled his, it ruled his heart. It reigned over his life. Everything was about his wealth. And that's why he was sad when Jesus said, sell everything you have. And it was this important thing, and Jesus challenges him to get rid of it, and then, then come follow me, right? But money, it was his God. And see, the, the point is, money's not bad. That's not the point of Jesus' story here, right? It's not that money's bad. Money's a tool. It's a resource. It's a gift. But what this guy had done is he had turned a good thing, a gift, into a God thing, and it ruled his life. And it was a big issue because the first commandment of the Ten Commandments is you shall have no other gods in your life before God. And this is, this is the challenge that Jesus gave him and it revealed an important truth. It says you might look like you followed all the commandments. You might look like a good person. But when we get inside you and we get in here, what we find is someone who has, wants nothing to do with God. It's all about you, right? And in a nutshell, what he says is you're not good. You're not good enough, not according to Jesus. And that ought to scare us a little bit because we can be like this guy sometimes, right? We figure out a way to follow the commands, do the right actions, call ourselves good, and the whole time we're doing all this, it has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with us, right? And that's not good, not by Jesus' standard. What he would actually say is that is selfish. It's selfish. Think about the rich young ruler. He misses the point. He's living what looks like a good life, but in reality, it's all about him. It's about how do I get this? How do I attain it? How do I gain it? It's not about God. It's about him. And Jesus exposes his true motives, right? And I think Jesus points out and helps us understand something really important. The opposite of good. It's not really bad. It's selfish. It's selfish, right? Hey, you think you're living a good life because you do all this stuff, but if it's all about you, right, you've missed the point. You're selfish, and I can fall into this trap all the time. It's, it's really easy to do good things for the wrong reasons, especially in ministry. You can start uh, hanging with people, helping people, writing sermons, preparing all this stuff, and all of a sudden, it has nothing to do with God, really, even though you're talking about him. It has everything to do with me and you, and it's like, I want attention, I want approval, I want to feel important. And this is what we do, our selfish desires to make it all about us cause us to do good things for the wrong reasons, Right? It's selfish. It's the opposite of good. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he kind of explains this. He's writing to his apprentice, Timothy, and here's what he says. He says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, 
not lovers of the good. So he paints this picture of someone who is self-absorbed in love with themselves, and he says, that's what it means to be the opposite of good, selfish, right? If the opposite of good is bad, then bad, according to Jesus, is being selfish, not typically how we define it. So what does good mean then, right? If bad is selfish, what is good? Well, later in his ministry, Jesus sums up um, what it means to live this good life, this life of obedience, this life of following God. And here's what he says. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Basically, Jesus takes everything and sums it up in those two things. Love God, love others. Right? So according to Jesus, this is what it means to be good. This is what it means to be good. A good life is a life lived for God and others. That's it. A good life is a life lived for God and others. It's selfless. A good life is a life that benefits others. It's lived for God's purposes. It's lived for the kingdom. A good life is a life of sacrifice, of giving, of pouring out your time and energy and resources for God's purposes, for him, right, to benefit others. And this is the standard. We do it all the time with everything we have out of love, expecting nothing in return. That's good. Now, who feels good now? I know I don't. Like, I, I look at that and I think, I can't hit that standard. I, I can't do that right? It almost feels hopeless. And I think the people listening to Jesus when he's talking to the rich young ruler, they feel the same way. They feel like you and I, where it's like, well, how? How do we do that? Because here's what they say. Who then can be saved? If this is the standard, if it's perfection, who can be saved? Who can go to heaven? And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So here's the truth. What's impossible with man? Being good on your own. You cannot be good on your own. We can come up with our own definitions that we can hit, and we can spend our whole life living what we think is the good life, but what Jesus is going to say is, to what end? That's selfishness. It's all about you. Or we can embrace God's definition of good, this selfless life lived for him and others all the time, perfection, and try to go about it, but the truth is we're going to miss the mark. We're going to fall short. Right? It's impossible on our own to be good. That's the bad news, but here's the good news. Because what's impossible with man is possible with God. You can become good through faith, through trust, and surrender. Right? This is the good news. There is a way to become good. There's a way to change. We can be a new version of ourselves, a new you, a better you, someone who's more like Jesus, living a life for God, living a life for others. Right? And it starts with replacing whatever rules in your life with Jesus. Right? So we turn to him, we turn to Jesus in faith, in trust, and we accept and surrender our lives to him. And then we follow the spirit. Let's break that down. We turn to him. This is basically what we just call repentance, right? We turn from something to God. Our selfish desires, we want everything to fill these voids in our life, right? We want uh, glory, we want significance, we want love, we want comfort, we want pleasure, we want everything, and we, and we chase all these things. And so when we turn to Jesus, what we're admitting is all these things, they don't measure up to you. You're better. You're it. You're what I want. They are not as good as you. That's kind of what repentance is. It's turning from something to Jesus, saying he's better. And we turn to him in faith and trust. We believe he is who he said he was, right? That he's God in the flesh and he came down to earth and we believe in what he did, that he died on the cross for us. He took our sin. See, this selfish life, it's, it's led us to, to do our own thing, to live this life where it's like, nah, I, I got this. I got this, God. 
right? And, and we twist his commands and we make it all about us. And it leads to this sin in our life, right? Basically just missing the mark is what that means. And we attempt to, attempt to do life without him. But Jesus comes along and he's good. Like he's the very definition of good. He's selfless. He lived his whole life for God to benefit other people. And he comes and, and his ultimate mission though is not to just be good, but it's to be good and then become a sacrifice. And he goes to the cross and he takes our sin and he takes our place and we're forgiven, right? There's an exchange on the cross. He takes our record, we get his record, we're forgiven, we're accepted, and now we're free. We're free of our sin, we're free of our guilt, we're free of our past, and we can now live a new life in Christ with Jesus. So we turn to him in faith and trust, and then we surrender our will. We surrender our will for his will. I think the word surrender kind of helps capture what it means to really follow Jesus. We're giving up something for him. Right? It, it, the, the Bible would describe Jesus as the Messiah, really, and the better word for that is king. King. He's the king. He is in charge. And when we believe Jesus as king, we accept what he said, we accept what he did, we accept everything that he is, and it rules over our life. So we look at our plans and our agendas and our purposes and everything that we want to do, and we say, you know what? That's not, that's not controlling my life anymore. That's not guiding me. It's his purposes. It's his plan. It's his agenda for my life. It's his word that's authority, and it's going to rule and reign my life, and we're going to take my life and just make it all about Jesus now and what he said. That's what it means for him to be king in my life. We accept his teaching as authority. So simply put, this is what we got to do. We got to start seeing goodness grow in our life. If we want to be good, here's the process. We reject whatever it is that we've replaced God with. We embrace Jesus, right, as our Savior, as our King. We shape our life around everything he taught, and then we allow his Spirit to guide us and help us. And this is what this, this series is all about. God's Spirit helping us, changing us, molding us, right, helping us carry out these commands that Jesus gave us so we can become more like him, right? Following Jesus, it's this continual process of just turning to him, believing in him, surrendering our plans, embracing his, and trusting God's spirit to work in us and change us. And the passage we've been, we've been uh, bringing up is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it one more time. It says, but the fruit of the spirit, right, the result of the Spirit working in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this is what the Spirit does in us. This is what the Spirit makes in us. And it's awesome. Because sometimes we think Jesus, you know, Jesus saved us. And he gave us all these commands. But you know what? He doesn't just save us and give us commands and then say, good luck. No, he gives us his Spirit to actually live out this new life that he's given us. He helps us live a new life. All right, so let's keep reading the next couple, couple verses. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, who believe in him, who have, who have embraced him as Savior, as King, those who belong to him, they've crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Meaning, you know, whatever used to guide us, that old Andy, that old self that used to control me and everything, that died with Jesus. It's gone. He doesn't exist anymore. I have a new life that I'm living. And then 25, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So if we're going to live this new life, we have to do it with help. We need someone else's power to help us. And it's Jesus' power, his spirit in us. 
right? And we're going to do it by his power. We're going to do it as he works in us. And we're going to follow him step by step. We're going we're to allow him to guide us and tell us where to go and how to do it. Right? We need his help. I had a professor a couple years ago, and he gave this illustration that I loved, um, and it helps me understand what it means to, to be living by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit and relying on him, and what that looks like. And, and he talked about following Jesus and relying on the Spirit like a sailboat. It's a sailboat, right? With a sailboat, what propels you is the wind, right? What propels you is the wind, but you have to, you have to capture the wind in sails. That's why it's a sailboat. Right? So to get from point A to point B, you have to do something to capture the wind. Right? You, if you leave your sails down, you're not going to capture the wind. But if you put your sails up, it's going to move you to where you need to go. And what we need to do as followers of Jesus is put up our sails and allow the Spirit to move us, to guide us from point A to point B. Okay? But the thing about a sailboat is uh, it takes a lot of effort. It's not just you sit back and don't do anything. There is a lot that you have to do. You can't do anything to produce wind. You cannot do anything to produce wind. But what you have to do is put in the effort to capture the wind. Okay? I have a video clip uh, that will kind of show you what I'm talking about. All right, I have no idea what they were doing or what that boat is. It wasn't even in the water. But what they were doing was putting in a lot of effort, weren't they? They're yelling commands. They're doing something. I don't know. They're doing a lot of effort to position the boat so they can capture the wind so they can get the most benefit from it. And that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do as Christians is put in the work, put in the effort, position ourselves so that we can capture the power of the Spirit and go from point A to point B, from where we are today to where God wants to take us, to becoming something new, all right? So let's look at several ways to throw up our sails, to capture the wind, to capture the Spirit, all right, so that we can develop more of a life lived for God and others, all right? So putting up your sails, positioning ourselves for growth. Basically, what we need to do is create space, eliminate distractions, Listen to God, ask for help, and then look for opportunities. All right, let's go through those. Create space. We have to have room in our life. We have to have margin. We have to have space so that God can work in us. Right? He needs to be what we're following. If I said, hey, let's go to the lake, right? Let's go boating. Let's go sailing. Right? We'd have to figure out a lot beforehand. Well, what lake are we going to? Who's got the boat? Is it ready? Do we have a cooler? You know, do we have the SPF 80, like for me? So we'd have to figure out all this stuff in advance. We would have to plan it out. And we plan out things all the time. Why not plan out how God is going to work in us and shape us? Why not plan out space so that God can do something to you, right? So that when we, when we meet with them, when we spend time with them, we're ready to listen. We're ready to talk to them. We're ready to grow. We're ready to wrestle with things. We need space to do this. If you want to change, you have to create this space. When will you do it? Where are you going to do it? What do you need? What's the plan? We need to figure out how you're going to meet with God. 
Right, is it the morning at a coffee shop with the Bibles in a small group with others, you know, picking apart the Bible, talking about it? Is it listening to sermon podcasts after your kids go to bed? You're like putting the house back together, right? Like there's, there's space in your life that you need to create for God. You have to. Because if we don't create that space, we're not going to throw up our sails. We're just going to drift. And drifting is not going to get you from point A to point B. You don't, you don't grow accidentally, right? We have to put in the effort. How do you need to shift your life around so that you can allow God some space to do something in you, to mold you, to shape you? Because it's not going to happen by accident. And if he's really your king, you're going to give him that space. Eliminate distractions. In regard to this idea of good, there's so many ideas of what it means to live a good life. So many messages coming at us. This is what it means. This is what it means. This is what's most important. All these things, and they distract us, and they pull us away from Jesus and the message uh, of his gospel, right? And some of these things can be good. Some of these things can be beneficial, but they're not the gospel. And what happens is they distract us, and they pull us away towards living a life, again, for us. It's all about us, what I can prove, what I can gain, what I can change, Whatever it is, what it can experience, and all these messages out there, this is how you live a good life. Take away from the real good life, following Jesus. Right? Distractions drag us away from a life lived for God and others. What are the distractions causing you to lose focus on Jesus, on God's mission? What are the voices in your life that are louder than God's, competing for your attention? Right? What things in your life need to go? Right? Maybe, maybe you just need to cut yourself off from some things, a person, TV, right? talk radio, whatever it is. There's so many things out there saying this is what it means. Sometimes we need to remove ourselves from that so we can finally hear God. Right? How many voices are competing for your devotion, tugging at you, pulling you? What's louder than God's voice in your life? Cut it out. If you eliminate distractions, you will hear God clearly. That's the third point. Listen to God. We create space, we eliminate distractions, and then we hear from him. We listen to him. We listen to Jesus. This is how we reorient our lives. Right? The, Bible, the Bible is where we, where we really listen to God. And, and the Bible is like finding your bearing, getting a true north. It's like a compass. It's always going to point you in the right direction. It's always going to say, this is where we need to go. This is what it means to live a life for God. This is what it means to benefit other people. Right? And, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the more that truth is in us, is in our minds, is in our hearts, it's like a sail going up that the Spirit is just going to capture. And God's Word and His Spirit working together is going to drive us and move us and motivate us and change us so that our life now becomes about Him and other people. Are you listening to God? Is the Bible your true north? Is it your standard for how to live a life? Are you taking it in regularly so that you can be reminded, renewed, restored, and redeemed into something new uh, and better. Four, ask for help. Living out what Scripture says is not something we can do on our own. Jesus says it's impossible with man, but it's possible with God. We need to ask for help. Right? We have the Spirit, and prayer is how we ask for the Spirit to start working in us and giving us power to do and obey. Right? Talking with God needs to be shaped by listening to God. God is our Father. We have a relationship with Him, and, and Scripture would say we can boldly go before Him and, and talk to Him and ask for anything we want. And I think the more we get to know God and the more we get into Scripture, we're going to stop asking for things that are selfish 
And we're going to start asking for things that help us become this God-honoring, people-benefiting persons, right? We're going to start asking for that. So our prayers become requests to become more of who he wants us to be, right? So we ask for help, like, show me where I'm selfish. Show me where I'm living for myself, where I'm using my resources all for myself, where I'm putting other people down, where I'm hurting people, right, where I'm not honoring you. Help me see that and then help me live out this new life, right? Help me use my gifts and talents for you. Help me honor you with my resources. Give me the strength to go talk to that person, Give me the courage to confront that person. Give me what I need to leave my old habits behind and move on, whatever it is. Our power comes from the Spirit. The Spirit is in us. It is the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. He is there, and it is possible to live all this out. We just need to ask. And then we need to look for opportunities. As we make space, we eliminate distractions, we we listen to God, we ask for help. He's going to give us opportunities to live it all out. Right? We need to be aware, we need to be open, we need to be watching, and we need to be looking for what God might be doing in our life. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes this. He says, for we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared good works for each and every one of you to do, to go and to live God made them, God glorifying people, benefiting works for you specifically because you have gifts, you have talents, you have experiences and different things that make you who you are and you can go out there and your life can give God glory and you can benefit people. You just need to be aware. You need to be paying attention. You need to be looking, right? Are you paying attention? Are you open to how you can serve people in this church, outside this church? the people who God puts around you every single day. How can you benefit them? How can you take advantage of that? Are you obedient with what God has given you? If we do the work, if we put up our sails, and we put in the effort, God will move us from point A to point B. He'll start to create in us something new. He'll start to change us. He'll start to make us good. He'll start to make our lives about him and our lives helping others. Right? And we are going to become more and more like Jesus through his help. It's all about Jesus, really. And every week, I like to end by thinking about Jesus and talking about Jesus and remembering what he did for us on the cross. Right? Each week, we remember how Jesus makes this all possible because our sin and rebellion make it impossible for us to be good on our own. But because of his death, it is possible. And during communion, that's what we remember. That is, we take the bread that represents his body, and we take the juice that represents his blood that was poured out, and we take that in, remembering the promises that when he died for us, we get a new life. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to celebrate communion and remember uh, the cross together. Father, we just uh, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your compassion and your mercy on us that we live these lives on our own, yet you come and you chase us down and you give us Jesus who changes everything. We thank you for him. We thank you for his cross, and we just thank you for this new life that we get to live in him. Help us. Give us the power. Give us the wisdom. Make us aware of how we can go out and we can live our lives for you and others. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen.